Welcome to Cardio Radio, a podcast of the Ohio Cardiovascular Health and Diabetes Collaborative, also known as Cardio. This is Dr. Michael Constant from the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and I serve as a principal investigator for Cardio, a statewide network of Ohio's seven medical schools. Cardio is funded by the Ohio Department of Medicaid and shares best practices to improve cardiovascular health and diabetes outcomes and to eliminate health disparities in Ohio's Medicaid population. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. I am Liz Beverly, Site Principal Investigator for Cardio at Ohio University. Today's podcast will focus on Diabetes Self-Management Education and Support, or DSMES, and address why, when, and how providers can use it to benefit patients with diabetes. With me today is Karen Bailey. Karen is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified diabetes care and education specialist at the Ohio University Diabetes Institute. In her role, she coordinates and implements an Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists accredited DSMES program. She also manages a fully recognized Centers for Disease Control National Diabetes Prevention Program. Welcome, Karen. So how would you define diabetes self-management education and support? DSMES, or Diabetes Self-Management Education and Support, is what that stands for, is a collaborative interaction with the person with diabetes. And what we try to do in the process of DSMES is ensure that we give people with diabetes the knowledge, skills, and confidence they need to manage their diabetes. It's a, it, there's a lot of information sharing but we also respect the knowledge of our person with diabetes. So we want to make sure that it meets their personal expectations. We uh, want to make sure that we address the most important things that they have as far as questions. And we also want to address the fact that living with diabetes is complicated. There's a lot of things now that you have to do that you didn't have before. And so it does address skills like checking your blood sugars, understanding what your numbers should be, how to give yourself your insulin if you're taking insulin injections. So those are the skill parts. But we also want them to know about stress management and how to deal with the overwhelming burden that sometimes people feel with diabetes. We also want to help them overcome barriers to change. So all of us could benefit from some lifestyle changes. Personally, you know, I have my own issues with loving coffee too much, and I could benefit from decreasing that. I understand very well, and most of us do, that we know what we need to do sometimes, but we have barriers to making changes. And so the diabetes care and education specialist is going to work with the person with diabetes to help them with behavior change, help them overcome barriers, give them tips, make the, the right thing the easy thing to do. Um, we're also going to connect them with resources in the community. We want to make sure when a person with diabetes is finished with our interaction that they can tap into other services in the area, in the community, whether it be cooking classes or support groups or exercise facilities. So it is very comprehensive and it's not just a didactic exercise in spitting out information to an audience. It's really helping people on a very personal level make behavior changes. So outcomes are really important. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Here at OU, we have the Diabetes Institute has a diabetes self-management education program. It first starts with a referral. So 
on a recognized program is one that follows the standards for diabetes education put out by national organizations like the American Diabetes Association, the American Association for Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialists, which used to be the American Association of Diabetes Educators. But those associations have standards of diabetes education that we follow. And and it starts with a referral from a doctor. So the referral to the program is step one. And so for your primary care physicians out there, finding out where the program is in the area, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, and then making that referral is the first step. Then we'll contact that person and talk about when the sessions are and what they involve. And if the person is willing, we will invite them to our classes. Most times, diabetes self-management education support programs are going to have about 10 hours, 9 to 10 hours of education available to participants. So in some places, it's been, you know, maybe an eight hour day where they go into a hospital outpatient clinic and they do as much education as they can break for lunch. They may even get lunch and then go on from there. But in a lot of places, it's a series of sessions. So it might be six sessions that are two hours long, one to two hours long, or in our case, it's three sessions and we used to have four sessions, but it's hard. it was hard to get people to complete it. So we tried to put as much information as we could in three sessions. So in, in my case, there's an initial visit one-on-one where we get to know the people and what their concerns are and understand their medical history. And then there's three group sessions. Now, if we have to do one-on-one sessions, we are totally willing to do that. And so our curriculum has to cover certain areas. So this is, again, according to the standards of care for diabetes education. And some of those areas are healthy coping, teaching people how to cope with a disease, with a diagnosis, and with, you know, just life in general, helping them fit diabetes into their life, Uh, giving them some tips for stress management, making sure they know the signs of depression and distress so that they can reach out for help. Um, helping them understand that it's okay when they feel that way and that support and help is out there and that they should seek it. We also go over healthy eating. Of course, everybody wants to know what they should eat. So in the initial visit with one-on-one, I will often start talking about the diet to because that's the questions they want answered the most, what can I eat? But our first class is called, what do I do now? And our second class is, what can I eat? Uh, so we talk a lot about that in our two-hour sessions. Then being active, so the importance of physical activity. But we also talk about what are some ways they can get active. And some programs may have, you know, incentives that they can give. Uh, We give out little pocket pedometers and exercise bands and a handout for how to set up your pedometer and how to, and what kind of exercise you can do with exercise bands. We talk about taking medications, uh, make sure you know how, what your medication does and how it works. And we want to make sure people understand insulin and how to give it. Even if they're not taking it, we want to make sure that that material is available to them. Uh, so they have some base knowledge of it. Then we talk a lot about monitoring blood sugars, but also people may be monitoring their weight. They're interested in weight loss. So tracking blood sugars, what the numbers should be, weight, blood pressure, some of the things that people might track. And evidence shows that when you track things, they improve. So it just makes sense to do that. If you want your blood sugars to come down, then keeping a record or tracking somehow is a good idea. There are apps. You can do it on paper. So we talk about different ways to monitor and what the numbers should be. And then we want to make sure people know how to problem solve. So 
if they have a barrier to taking medication or being physically active, what are some things that we can do to get around that barrier? So we teach them the five steps of problem solving. We also want them to understand the complications of diabetes that can occur with uncontrolled uh, high blood sugars. We also want them to understand that well-controlled diabetes is much less associated with uh, long-term complications, and that's why we focus so much on A1C and numbers and, and getting those under control. So we have the three sessions with them, and then we actually follow them. We make action plans, goals with them. We want to make sure that with the information they receive, that they act on the information. A lot of people like to, to acquire information, but then they don't really act on it. And it's not going to help if you don't act on it. So we'll find out for these people, what is the most important you thing you think you want to work on? And we will turn that into a SMART goal. And then we have them track their progress over the course of the three classes. And then we'll call them in a few months. And over the course of a year, we'll follow their um, progress on goals. That's really great information. So what are the benefits to the patients for diabetes self-management education and support? Well, what are the benefits? So they've done a lot of studies on how individuals benefit from participating in diabetes self-management education and support. And some of those benefits that are evidence-based are reductions in A1C of 0.45% to 0.57% on A1C. So a reduction in A1C of about a half uh, a point. And that is equivalent to the benefits seen with some medications. So that's great. And then uh, also benefits shown are decreases in complications and all-cause mortality, increases in the quality of life, increases in the behaviors of healthy eating and being active, increases in self-efficacy and empowerment, improving coping skills, uh, it decreases distress, and increases use of glucose monitoring, decreases blood pressure and lipids, and decreased emergency visits, emergency room visits, hospitalizations, and overall healthcare costs. And another study showed that uh, those that do not engage in diabetes self-management education support are four times more likely to develop long-term complications to diabetes than those that do engage in it. So when should providers be referring their patients who have diabetes to DSMES? So there are four times that have been established that would be important times to refer your patients with diabetes to DSMES. One of them, of course, is a diagnosis. There's a lot to learn and it, it, patients really benefit from engaging in diabetes self-management education support. If they uh, go to it after diagnosis, they can really see some improvements. Now, one of the things I hear from many, many doctors is, hey, I referred my patient, but they just don't want to do it. They just say no. So what, what I recommend is thinking about the way you word it. And for example, if you had a third grader or maybe a, even a high schooler and woke them up in the morning and say, hey, would you like to go to school today? Chances are they're going to say no. But, you know, they've understood from very early on that school is very important it's something that you just need to get up and you need to go and you need to do it and you benefit from it later in life. Uh, I recommend thinking about it that way when you're talking to your uh, patients because we know that at the top of the uh, recommendations for diabetes treatment is lifestyle change and uh, lifestyle management. And that's where the diabetes self-management education support can really help. So I encourage doctors to just go, a go ahead and say, okay, you, you know, these are your medications. Uh, maybe the nurse is going to come in and show you how to take this or show you how to do that. But then the next step 
you need to go to diabetes self-management education support. This is part of your treatment. And so I'm going to refer you here. You need to work out with that program when you're going to be able to go to your classes. I will be checking back to see if you were able to complete that. So, you know, just making it an expectation of your patients. And then the program itself should be working as hard as it can to be flexible with patients and meet their needs if they, you know, if, if they're unable to meet class times. What are some other ways that the program can help? Another time to refer your patients to DSMES is annually. In, in, uh, so if they just check in with the diabetes care and education specialist once a year, and then they can touch base with them, we can see if they have any questions, if they have any new medications, of course, we might want to make sure they understand what they're doing with that. And if they have any problems or transitions in life, that's another time to definitely refer your patients. For example, if a child is now entering college, moving away, and is an adult, and they're going to be in charge of their own care. I think it's great to connect them with a diabetes care and education specialist in the area that can be a support system for them. And then, of course, when complicating factors occur that, you know, renal disease, for example, and they're really worried about what changes they're going to have to make when they have kidney disease because they get very confused about things that they're reading about diet and kidney disease versus diabetes or heart problems if they've had a heart attack. And, you know, they think that now they're dealing with two different kind of diets in their household. So the four times are diagnosis annually or when not meeting treatment goals, when complicating factors occur, and then when transitions in life and care occur. So you've definitely shown us the clear benefits of being in diabetes education, but I understand that the evidence shows that many people don't take advantage of DSMES services. For example, CDC reports that only 6.8% of privately insured individuals with type 2 diabetes participate in DSMES within 12 months of diagnosis. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the data show that only 5% of Medicare participants with diabetes participate in DSMES during their first year of diagnosis. And in 2017, AADE practice survey showed that those who attend DSMES services, only 23% of those participants completed 75% or more of that program. So what does the evidence show are some of the barriers for accessing these services? And what are some of the ways that we can address these barriers? Unfortunately, that's right. The statistics show a very low rate of engaging in diabetes self-management education support and then completing it. And so let's look at it from several perspectives. We're going to look at it from the patient, provider, and insurer perspective. So regarding the patient perspective, you know, in this area, I'm in southeastern Ohio, and we did a survey of people in our locale and what were the barriers to diabetes care, transportation was one of the top problems that was listed. And that seems to be the case. Evidence nationwide shows that transportation and access to programs is a real concern. So for one thing, there's not a whole lot of programs out there. And then for another, a lot of times they're located in a large city. So if you live in a rural area, you're very intimidated by, some people are very intimidated by having to drive into a city. So they just won't do it. And some people don't have great transportation. They don't trust their cars to make a long trip. Another issue is stigma. I've had a couple patients tell me they don't want to come to a program about diabetes because they don't really want people to know that they have diabetes. Either they're in denial or they just don't feel comfortable identifying themselves as people with diabetes. What I have to encourage them to say about that is the statistics show that one in three people in the United States have diabetes or prediabetes. Chances are 
they think that they're alone, but if they look around them for every five people there, you know, there's several of them that, that have diabetes or prediabetes. So you're not alone actually. And with diabetes, it's very much a, a disease that can be impacted positively by small changes in lifestyle. So getting the support and learning what those changes can be, then you can work with your doctor and the medications and really optimize your care. Again, remember the long-term complications of diabetes are associated with poor control. So the more you know, and the more tips you have for managing your diabetes, and the more confidence you have, the better you do. Timing is another problem. If you're a person that has a full-time job from eight to five, and the hospital outpatient diabetes education program operates from eight to five, there's going to be a problem. Now, you may be able to take off once for a doctor's appointment, but when the program has anywhere from four to six sessions, that can be a problem of not feeling like you can take that time off for work. That can be an issue for people, the timing. Um, And then lack of understanding of benefits. So this is something that um, I hear all the time from doctors when they refer their patients or they're talking about it in the exam room to uh, when I call people on the phone and try to get them to come to our program, they say, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't do it. In other words, it's not going to help me to hear what you have to say because I just won't do it anyway. And so what I have to say to our primary care providers out there, you know, to handle this conversation is the diabetes self-management education and, and support program is all about helping people overcome barriers to change, assessing their readiness for change, and then working with them incrementally to make positive changes in their lifestyle. So when they say, I know what I'm supposed to do, I don't, I just don't do it. That's where the primary care physician says, well, then this program is perfect for you because they're going to help you figure out why you don't do what you're supposed to do and help you start making some positive changes and really helping you manage your diabetes well. So the conversation is so important. Cultural reasons why people may not come to programs. So if, if all of the people in the program that are teaching the program are of one ethnic origin and then you come from another culture, you're going to think, well, they're not going to understand how I eat. They're not going to understand my lifestyle, maybe religious restrictions. And so I don't think that's going to apply well to me, that program. So one of the strengths of the program should be meet cultural needs. So to start understanding people's culture and to accommodate. So we're supposed to meet the individual's needs. So American Diabetes Association has educational material in many, many different languages. So if we need, we can get that. If we need an interpreter, we will get access to an interpreter. So I've had, for example, someone from China that didn't speak English, and we had an interpreter speak through the classes. And we we also have had people that are deaf or blind attend our programs and will meet those needs as best we can. So the other, another barrier is social determinants of health. So if you live in an area where there's just so few resources, the grocery store has a very few variety of foods, then it can be hard to make the dietary changes that are recommended uh, when we talk about healthy eating for diabetes, which includes, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables and looking for high fiber foods and lean proteins. So that can be a real problem. And if people are financially strained as far as trying to get enough uh, food, in the house, that can be a real barrier too. So our program tries to link people with resources. 
So if we have someone that's on Medicare and Medicaid and um, they, they're really not able to get up in the kitchen and prepare food, we can link them to services where they will get meals delivered. And so that's the part of the program is linking people to community resources for sure. So let's look at provider and program barriers. So again, there's in some areas, there's limited diabetes self-management education programs in the area. And to become a diabetes care and education specialist, there's quite a bit of hours of of in-person, you know, working with diabetes patients in a program, about a thousand hours when I was becoming certified before I could sit for the exam. So it's great to become a certified diabetes care and education specialist, but there is an effort there. And so there may be, you know, lack of availability for those kind of professionals. There's also often a lack of administrative leadership and support. So if you really don't get much reimbursement in a diabetes education program, then there may not be the will administratively when budget cuts um, are necessary to continue that program. So I have seen in the past uh, working in hospitals where their diabetes self-management program got cut because of budgetary concerns. Now there are programs that are available in com- you know community programs, but that that can be an issue in, in a lot of areas too. Is that they don't bring in a lot of money, so they get rid of them. Another issue that providers may have is they don't know exactly how to refer. If it's not embedded into their healthcare system and the EMS, they may not under you know really know how to refer to a, di- a diabetes self-management education program or know where they are. So I do recommend that doctors become aware of where the programs are. And they can do that by going on the ADCES website. And the name of that address is diabeteseducator.org. And just put that in the URL and the website comes up and uh, there's a program locator. And if you click on that, a map pops up. You can find your area, click on it, and it should give you a list of programs, uh, recognized programs in the area. Also, uh, in our area, the health department is a great source of information on community resources, including programs like ours and the area agency on aging. So you get someone in your office to do a little digging uh, to see what programs are in your area. And then misunderstanding the benefit of DSMES among healthcare practitioners. So it used to be probably 10, 20 years ago, much more of like a didactic kind of a class. And so the provider may think, well, this this person that I have here in my exam room is not going to sit through a class. And so there's a little bit of implicit bias about the patient that may be taking place. Understandably, uh, you're not going to refer them if you think that they're not going to benefit from it. But also a misunderstanding about the uh, program. I don't like to say classes because they're more like sessions among healthcare providers. So what what I want to say to them is that it is much more conversational. It works with adult learning to offer the service, offer the information, but also get a lot of feedback So from people. So there's a lot of sharing that takes place in those classes. It's much more conversational. We slow down a little bit when people have questions and want to know more about a certain thing to make sure that everybody benefits from that when they leave. So it's understanding that we really try to meet the needs of people and make it interactive as as possible. And then for insurance companies, well, for Medicare, there's a copay. So a lot of times Medicare recipients have, they're on fixed incomes and they're paying a lot out of pocket for medications and a copay for diabetes self-management education support is just something that they're not willing to pay for. 
So they don't engage. That's why the percentage of people, one of the reasons why the percentage of Medicare recipients is so low engaging in programs. So, you know, if they didn't have to pay, it may be a lot easier to get people in. So the copay can be a problem. Then the state of Ohio doesn't require that private insurance companies or Medicaid cover diabetes self-management education support. So there's spotty coverage. Some of the Medicaid uh, managed plans, rather, will cover it, but some of them won't. And some private insurance cover them, some don't. So there's just a lack of of, uh, certainty as to whether the program is going to be covered or not. And that is a barrier. So if we want diabetes incidence to go down or be improved in healthcare costs in the state of Ohio to be reduced, we need to cover diabetes self-management education support. It's just, in my opinion, something we need to do. Now, possible solutions for some of these barriers. So for patients, what I would love to see is to offer options that are more flexible and meet individual needs. So for example, a lot of programs, if you are a hospital outpatient diabetes program, you can't offer your program just anywhere. It has to be in the hospital. I think it'd be great to be able to offer programs in the communities. And I'll give you an example of why I think that's true. We did a series of six sessions called Deep Diabetes Education Empowerment Program. We were given a grant money to try and recruit more Medicare recipients into diabetes self-management education. That was the purpose of it. And they gave us the educational materials. Uh, It was six two-hour classes, very hands-on lots of visuals to help, low literacy type of handouts, so not a lot of complicated jargon. And it was six two-hour sessions, and we took them out and did those programs in the community, in small communities, in their community centers. So we, we went to a little town called Shade and uh, did a class in their community center, and we went to a town called Stewart, and we did the program in their community center. And with my three-session class, at Ohio University Diabetes Institute, the completion rate last uh, previous year was 50%. And that's about as good as I can do for the three classes. The completion rate for the series of six classes was 97%. So what that tells me is that DEEP is a nice program and people enjoyed it. But I think also that when you are able to go out into small communities and meet people where they live, you're more likely to get engagement and people know each other. We had people in the class that didn't even have diabetes. They just wanted to sit in and listen. And they just appreciated so much that we were we were coming to them. So I, I really love the idea of being able to do that and be more flexible with reaching out and going into these communities and meeting people where they are instead of a clinical facility. I think the utilization of telehealth formats are great. So I've noticed that people are more likely to engage in diabetes education if I offer them by phone or by Zoom or by Teams meetings. And so what we do here Uh, Since the pandemic has come along as we have virtual diabetes self-management education programs because we're not allowed to meet people in person yet. We have to do most things online or on the phone. So we use Zoom or Teams. And what I'll do when I get a referral is to call that person and explain the program. And if they like it, I will send them instructions for creating an account on a platform called, uh, we call Watt. It's Wellness Anytime Through Technology. It's, uh, we purchased it from a company out of Michigan. And that is a lifestyle coach uh, platform that also has DPP curriculum on it. And, and it allows people to see the handouts for the diabetes classes 
or the DPP program. It allows them to record their weight, their minutes of activity, which are things that we want to collect. There's a place where they can record their A1Cs or blood sugars or blood pressures. And there's a place where they can record uh, food and physical activity. So it's kind of a one-stop shop platform where they can collect, you know, track data and blood sugars, for example, uh, if they have diabetes. See the handouts. So they're able to go through the handouts before our Zoom or team session. They can also message us and it's HIPAA compliant. They can message the coach or the diabetes educator and talk back and forth. We also are able to, on that platform, put videos for exercise, recipes, interesting articles that we think people might enjoy, just all kinds of stuff on there, links to, you know, websites or interesting videos that support a healthy lifestyle. So we do that and then we will arrange the series of classes in times and then it, and send them a link, you know, an invite for the Zoom or team so that we can do our classes with them. And we'll share the screen and share the materials during the Zoom session. So we're all looking at handouts and things together. And then I will have a dietetic uh, or a PACE student or dietetic intern call people and update their goals because they can also put their goals on that site, update their action plans or goals, and also update weight and A1Cs. So we follow them for about a year to see what their progress is. And that's the way we do it right now. And uh, people like not having to drive in sometimes, especially if they work. Like we can do programs at night. We can do it after work. I did one we do one uh, at 5, 6, um, 7.30, you know, whatever works for people. Community health workers and diabetes navigators are great. They are a bridge between healthcare provider and a pe- person with diabetes. And so we at our health department have two diabetes community health workers that have been trained. They've gone through our classes and work with people with diabetes on their, on their goals and link them with resources in the community that might help them. Um, so they, they are wonderful and they, they can establish real positive relationships with people with diabetes. So we always ask in our diabetes self-management education program towards the end, how are you going to stay engaged in your care? What are some uh, things that you're going to do to keep yourself up to snuff with diabetes care, educated, motivated, things like that? And so we offer them the services of community health worker or diabetes navigator and also uh, link them to cooking classes if they're interested, exercise programs, diabetes magazines, the websites that have so much resources on them. So we want to make sure that they continue their education because what we know is when people go through a program, they benefit but then they slip slide. So everyone needs to plug in to resources that are available and keep being engaged and learning. Solutions for the provider. Again, I believe the way the conversation takes place, if you really want them to go to diabetes self-management education training, you need to kind of maybe think about the way you have that conversation. And instead of say, would you like to, I think you say, this is part of your treatment. And I really want this to make this work for you. So I'm going to refer you to this program and they're going to contact you back. And then we should be giving doctors information about who went through the program and their progress so that the, there's a, a closed loop there as far as information goes. Providers need to, to be able to easily refer their patients for diabetes education. So having a seamless referral embedded in the electronic health record would make it easier for them and having them understand which uh, billing codes for diabetes self-management education support to use just makes it faster and easier. Also, community clinic partnerships are a great way to link people to diabetes self-management education. And so, for example, we were linked with a community 
Center in uh, Shade and Stewart. And the people there helped recruit participants for the classes. And then we would go to their doctor and get the referral. So that just makes it easier because, you know, to get referrals from that way, if people are interested, if they're interested, they're more likely to show up for the classes. And then we can just get the referral from the doctor. And then I really, I think, you know, in, in clinics where shared medical appointments are available and a certified diabetes care and education specialist or dietitian or a nurse there that can do diabetes education during those shared medical appointments. I think that that has been shown to be very, very effective and people really enjoy it. And then for insurers, I just really feel strongly in the fact that if we want people to understand well how to manage their diabetes, we need to cover diabetes self-management training uh, in Ohio. And so I, I really think that that is a game changer right there just make sure it's available and that the coverage is available for a variety of formats to meet individuals needs. So let the programs be able to go out where people are instead of having them come in because there's there's such a barrier for transportation and other things. There are lots of barriers at the patient level, the provider level, and even talking about with insurance. But one of the things you mentioned for providers is difficulty even with the referral process. How can primary care providers locate and refer to diabetes self-management education programs? A referral is required if the program bills Medicare or private insurance. So a referral is required. And Medicare... Um, has very specific requirements about their referral. It has to include what they want, and then there's the 10 areas of topics. So you can just check the all, but there's like a specific Medicare referral form that's available, and uh, they want the NPI number, they want the signature of the doctor. And if if you want one-on-one diabetes self-management, you need to specify why and so there's a list of reasons why it would be covered. For private insurances, the referral process is a little simpler. Um, just, you know, uh, doctor's signature and referral to diabetes self-management training is the billable term or diabetes self-management education support. So DSMT, DSMES are billable terms. For Medicare, it's DSMT. And then the evidence shows that MNT referral to a dietitian is highly recommended and very effective for people with diabetes. So it would be a diabetes self-management training referral And you can also, on that Medicare referral form, you can also click MNT at the same time. So you can check both off. That way they have more hours they can spend in with a dietitian, at least, talking specifically about meal plans. And that's been shown to be very effective. Locating the services, we talked about that. Try the diabeteseducator.org website and try your health department's Area Agency on Aging, and just people in your locale that that might be familiar. Like around here, I didn't know for years that our senior citizens program had a Stanford model diabetes education program for seniors. They're not advertised, and that's a problem. We don't have marketing budgets, so often our programs are not advertised very well, and people don't know that they're out there. That's great. So how has DSMES services been provided during the restrictions due to COVID-19? Medicare has allowed for reimbursement for telehealth and including telephone visits. Telehealth was allowed before in certain circumstances. You you would have to have an initial face-to-face visit and then you could follow up with telehealth. But now they're also allowing telephone visits temporarily and you can bill for them for DSMES 
during COVID-19. And I have found that telephone visits can be very, very effective. People are very comfortable when they're on the phone. They don't, you know, uh, some people are not comfortable using the technology of Zoom and Teams. Um, so the phone visits are, you know, just very relaxing for them and you can still engage them and teach them a lot. And in that case, I would have to mail them or email their educational materials. So I have done both emailed education materials and, uh, mail physically mail them for people who really don't use email at all. Well, thank you, Karen. You've shared a lot of really great information today. So a big thank you to our featured guest. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to Cardio Radio. This concludes today's podcast. Be sure to visit cardio.org to learn more about the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative.